2: This is Jenna Ellis in
1: the Morning.
0: Good morning and welcome to Jenna Ellis in the Morning. And we are continuing to follow everything going on uh, in Israel because um, this is just a really um, uh, devastating, is the only word that comes to mind, really, Um, a a devastating war and, and the implications across... Foreign policy, um, the world stage, but also just the treatment of uh, how so many student groups across the country and so many individuals across social media, but then um, especially different world leaders as well, are treating uh, Israel and are suggesting that the United States should not uh, send aid to Israel. And um, this was a really sad clip from um, a Hamas official that we will repeat the October 7th attack time and again until Israel is annihilated. We are the victims. Everything we do is justified. And so um, Andy McCarthy actually posted, Hamas leader repeats for the zillionth time Sharia supremacist objective. Those who notice for the zillionth time labeled, quote unquote, Islamophobes. This is cut eight.
2: إسرائيل دولة لا مقام لها على أرضنا إحنا هذه الدولة لابد أن نزيلها لأنه بالفعل هي تعتبر كارثة أمنية وعسكرية وسياسية للأم العربية والإسلامية يجب أن تنتهي لذلك إحنا لا نخجل من نقول ذلك بكل قوة no لازم نقدمها وحنقدمها Han at Diba ومش هذا حتكون طوفان الأقصى أول لا حتكون لدينا إصرار ولدينا قرار lucky. we I think
0: that's, that's actually the. Uh, uh, obviously, that's not the English version of the clip. So we, I think we put in, um, I probably put in the wrong one on that one. But let's uh, let's go to Chris Woodward, who is um, a reporter here at the um, American Family Radio Network, and um, hopefully for those of you who understood um, <laughs> that broadcast, I don't know, Chris, if if you understood that clip, but. Um, Overall, uh, what has been going on in terms of um, the Israel war and uh, everything that's going on in terms of foreign policy? What is the latest um, in terms of what is actually happening between Israel's response and then Hamas suggesting that they're they're the victims and they're going to continue this brutal war?
3: Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, The war is now in its fourth week of war. Uh, Israel is continuing to go after Hamas uh, in response to the terrorist attack from Hamas back on October 7th. Um, This morning, Israel reported through the IDF, 17 Israeli casualties inside the Gaza Strip as part of their uh, ground offensive, and I'll get more into that in just a moment. Uh, As many as about 10,000 people have been killed in the war on both sides. Most of those uh, are from um, Palestinians in the Gaza area, and that's if you believe the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry. I say that because... Hamas, the same terrorist group that attacked Israel on October seventh, runs the health ministry, reporting the numbers. So one has to kind of think, well, maybe those numbers aren't necessarily accurate. And that's not just me saying that. President Biden, in recent days, did say you can't believe everything you hear out of Hamas.
0: Yeah, which um, which is incredible. I mean, how has the Biden administration um, response to this been in terms of an expectation, I suppose, from uh, the, from the world stage?
3: Yeah, it it depends on which person representing the Biden administration is speaking. If it's Secretary Antony Blinken, it's pro-Israel, pro-response to the terrorist attack. If it's Joe Biden or certainly Vice President Kamala Harris, you're going to get a different um, statement. Now, Biden has said, we stand by Israel, we're going to give them what they need. But at the same time, he's also out there saying we've got to do something to combat Islamophobia, and now they've put Vice President Harris in charge of this new council uh, as if she needs you know, another job on top of the other things he's assigned her. Now she's putting out videos speaking out against Islamophobia um, while Israel defends itself from this terrorist attack from an Islamic terrorist group.
0: Yeah. And uh, you mentioned Vice President Kamala Harris and uh, the Daily Wire's headline is Kamala Harris announces national strategy to combat Islamophobia Mm -hmm. in the wake of anti-Semitic threats. And, you know, she's been so effective as a border czar. So obviously, um, you know, this role was just totally meant for her. But um, but I think I mean, you know, this is kind of a joke, right? I mean, with everything that's going on, this is the priority of Kamala Harris. And she thinks that she thinks that's going to resonate uh, with Americans as as one of the top priorities.
3: Yeah, it uh, she was being uh soundly mocked uh last night on Twitter or X, whatever we're supposed to call it uh, this day. A lot of people were saying this appeared to be uh, another veep episode with Kamala in it instead of um the actors and actresses from that um comedy that was on TV a few years ago. A lot of people um are saying this is, you know, really tone deaf. Uh there's nothing in America today, on the level of people protesting Islam, um, banging on doors and trying to enter rooms where, you know, uh, Muslim people are gathered, uh, on the same level that we've seen it with Jewish students, hardly an hour goes by without seeing something on social media of a Jewish person or a Jew- Jewish group uh, being attacked, uh, being heavily criticized for uh, speaking out against the terrorist attack back on October 7th. Uh, you don't see anything like that uh, with Muslim students somewhere in Jewish or, um, you know, Protestants uh, protesting Islam. So a lot of people are saying it's it's really tone-deaf, it's a bad look. Uh, it, it appears to be political, like they're worried about votes um, more so than they are Islamic lives. But this administration does a lot of things for politics, so it'll be this venture today and something else tomorrow.
0: Yeah, and it is really um, unfortunate that they're concerned more about um, their own optics. But I, I don't even think optics that really uh, resonate to the the average voter and the concerned citizen. Um, I, I really wonder if that's even very effective to their own base. Um, but mm-hmm. in terms of uh, how the administration is now looking at Congress, that's led uh, by new Speaker Mike Johnson. Um, I had Representative Chip Roy on the program um, the other day, and mm-hmm. he was talking about. Speaker Johnson putting in a single um, item bill, so or single issue bill, so that there wasn't this um, more omnibus style that uh, if anyone on the Republican side wants to have uh, funding go to Israel, then they also have to support Ukraine. We should separate those out. And Mitch McConnell has actually come out in opposition of that. It seems like he's playing right into the Biden administration's hands uh, by suggesting that Ukraine funding should also be wrapped up in Israel. What's going on there?
3: Yeah, it, it makes no sense that the Senate is acting the way that they are. And and, uh, in McConnell's defense, yesterday, President Biden told CBS that he would veto a standalone Israel funding bill. That's a terrible look for a guy who is running for reelection, is wanting people to help him, quote unquote, finish the job. And the same guy who in recent days said he stands with Israel, they're going to get whatever they want. So for you to say, I'm going to veto a standalone bill, that's a terrible look. And for Mitch McConnell, who at times has criticized the size of bills, The fact that people don't read bills, that Democrats are rushing through these things without putting a lot of thought into them. This is why a lot of people, including Republicans, are upset with the Republican Party, because no one's on the same page. And we saw that with the House Speaker's race, right? So it's just another situation where Republicans are not unified. And that is a concern, I think, for Republican voters, because people in your party, if this is your party and the one you plan to vote for this year and next year— They're all over the place, and they're not working together like Democrats pretend they do. Um, And that's going to be a big issue, I think, in the future elections.
0: Yeah, really well said. And I'm speaking with Chris Woodward, who is uh, a reporter here at American Family Radio and for uh, AFN as well. And you should follow American Family News uh, for. and uh, We have uh, obviously a site on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> as mm-hmm. well to get all of uh, the the breaking news there. And so, um, so in terms of. Um, Speaker Johnson's leadership and then this other idea from Representative Chiproy, he has been pushing that the funding for Israel, while he supports that, does not support the funding to Ukraine. If uh, he and his fellow Republicans are going to support funding to Israel, it should come out of something else. And essentially what he told me uh, the other day was was that Washington can't just continue to write a blank check, that uh, Congress needs to defund uh, perhaps the United Nations or perhaps the human rights mm-hmm. campaign, um, and then take that funding from somewhere else and then flow that funding to Israel. I think it's a great idea. Um, what is the the situation looking like in terms of um, Speaker Johnson's leadership and whether something like that could actually be accomplished?
3: Yeah, I think Republicans in the House, uh, led by Speaker Johnson, they're really uh, intent on getting this standalone bill out there and making the Senate have to choose. Are you going to fund Israel or are you going to cry foul and say, no, we want all these bills and one big thing uh, to save us time and money? Speaking of money, Uh, Washington will never have a problem spending money because it's not their money, it's ours. And so taxpayers need to speak up, contact their representatives, contact their senators, and say, hey, you need to be uh, more wise in terms of what you're doing with my money. We're forced to pay you taxes. You should be smart in how you spend our tax dollars. And so this is going to be an interesting fight. And I think if Johnson really wants to show that he's um, sincere – this is the, the hill you're willing to die on right at this moment because it's going to show, hey, I'm here. I'm not just some guy they propped up to go ahead and get a speaker up here. We're, you know, we're ready and we're serious. So I would not be shocked if uh, the House says this is the bill we're going with. You choose whether or not you're going to uh, look bad in public and on social media if you veto it or uh, don't bring it up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Put the pressure back on uh, the Senate and make sure at least the House is doing uh, the right thing. And and you mentioned uh, wisely, Chris Woodward, that this is taxpayer money. This is Congress deciding actually how to spend our money, not their own. And I've consistently reminded people that the government is a non-revenue generating institution. They don't actually uh, provide, um, it, it's, it's not a, a commercial sort of enterprise. And so um, it should be something that constituents are listened to uh, and that our opinion as taxpayers actually matters. It seems like Congress does just write blank checks with our money. And um, so how in just the last few minutes I have with you, um, I think that's a great call to action for our AFR listeners in terms of um, how to make their voices heard. And you mentioned, um, you know, calling their representatives. and, And I think that Um, that can't be stated enough or overstated because a lot of people think, well, if I just contact my representative, does that really make a difference? But we hear Mm -hmm. from so many elected officials from the national, federal level, all the way down to the state level, it does make a difference.
3: It does. It does. And if you are a millennial or a Generation Z or Zoomer uh, listening to this show, you should really be concerned with what Washington is doing and and has been doing with tax dollars because we're going to be the ones on the hook for all these bad decisions that they're making, and there's not going to be enough of us working. Uh, We don't have as many kids as previous generations for a number of reasons, and we're all going to be on the hook for these bad decisions they've been making for years, if not decades. So you need to call your member in Congress, a representative of your senators, and say, listen, uh, you need to be better about this, and and actually crack down and do something about the spending. It's interesting that Johnson is taking the... um, tax that he's doing here he's not borrowing again from uh, future Americans he's saying hey we have some money over here we're going to use that nobody's doing anything with it That's a bigger uh, better approach I think for a lot of taxpayer conscious voters because uh, it's not on it's not more money on the backs of Americans.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and that's a really good point as well, Chris Woodward. That um, there is go- there are going to be fewer uh, taxpayers, unfortunately, and especially if the Democrats get their way and the priorities are to make um, more and more people dependent on welfare, not property owners. Then, um, regardless of you know the the dwindling uh, birth rates and um, and and population decrease, there will just simply be more people that are taking from the government instead of contributing to um, the general welfare of the country. So. Um, um, we do need mm-hmm. to be engaged as good citizens. Um, Chris Woodward, always appreciate you joining us. And also uh, the puppies, Todd and Copper, for their commentary this morning as they're wrestling <laughs> down at my feet. Uh, you can follow Chris on X at reporter Chris W. I encourage you to do that. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. The medical establishment has been playing God with the lives of innocent babies for decades now. Many have grown callous because it seems surreal to think that over 64 million babies have been lost. Preborn will not stand silent, nor should we. We cannot stand by and let babies die at the hand of abortion. That's why preborn exists, to stand up for those who cannot defend themselves. The only defense for these precious babies is their heartbeat, which begins at just three weeks and can be heard on ultrasound by five weeks. When a mother, making that ultimate choice, hears her baby's heartbeat and sees the precious life inside of her, the majority of the time she will choose life. By sponsoring an ultrasound for a mother, you are being the voice of the preborn. Please join Preborn in the cause for life. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com.
1: Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
0: Well, why should Americans care about the well being of Israel? The answer lies in the shared values and history that bind the two nations, according to our good friend Alan Mashburn, who wrote a great piece in Blaze Media titled, Why Israel Matters to America. And Alan Mashburn, of course, is the GOP candidate for Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina and also a pastor and a very sincere Christian. And we are always grateful when he drops by the show. So, Alan, good morning. And uh, why... Why should uh, Americans care about the well-being of Israel?
2: Good morning, Jenna. Always a pleasure to be with you. You know, the alliance between our two nations goes back many decades, I would say centuries, because the Jewish people, biblically and uh, historically, have been an ally to Americans. And we share more than a geopolitical alliance. It's a partnership that's rooted in our shared values, in our freedom and our strength. We do more than share uh, counterintelligence and and counterterrorism intelligence. But we have such uh, an interlocking relationship between the founding of America that was uh, founded upon uh, Judeo-Christian principles And uh, biblical Israel. And so I think it's imperative that we educate our next generation of just how important this ally, this, this alliance is.
0: Yes, and you write in this piece of uh, supporting Israel reinforces the message that a representative government and freedom are not just American ideals, but universal values worth preserving. And I think that's a very important point as well, because, you know, the United States has has historically talked about um, this notion of, quote unquote, spreading democracy. But it's not just about the type of government. It's about the foundation and the values which ultimately reflect and are built upon the Judeo-Christian a worldview and biblical principles of truth that our rights come from God our creator and the sole purpose of government is to preserve and protect them. So these types of universal values uh, shouldn't just pertain to Americans, but really if every nation was operating effectively according to the word of God and understood the value of human dignity and uh, the identity of human beings as imago Dei or having the image of Christ, then they would operate a government as well that was uh, built on these biblical values and would uh, have the best opportunity for everyone to advance prosperity and and goodness. So this isn't just about United States or or Israel as nations. This is ultimately, I think, um, what you're saying, um, Alan Mashburn, is that this is ultimately a reflection of truth.
2: It is. And it goes all the way back to uh, Zechariah. Um, and farther back than that, but, you know, God said that um, whosoever touches Israel touches the apple of his eye. So even though that is is too biblical Israel, the the example there is for us all. Uh, Going back to what you just said, if we all just live in this biblical uh, sphere of worldview, uh, this can you imagine how many wars would be in the world at this time if we did that? Uh, it would be minuscule, next to nothing. So, I think we all have to go back and say, you know, God had it correct. And if we would live by these principles that our nations, our two nations, were founded upon, um, then we would see, we would see world peace.
0: Mm. Yeah, and that, that's so well said, and, um, and and it does. This false worldview manifests itself um, in so many different ways, and unfortunately, um, the rise of Marxist influence in America. You talk about um, this in the piece, and you know, really anything that is antithetical, any view that is antithetical or does not embrace the biblical worldview is, by definition false or a a bad world view and a view that is inconsistent uh, with the Bible, and this this does manifest itself in more than just foreign policy and our relationship with our allies, but um, even into the very policies that we as Christians advocate for, um, like pro-life policy, um, why we we advocate to, to keep all of our rights, including life and liberty, um, why we are against things like uh, red flag laws that uh, suggest that our rights can be foreclosed and we have to prove why sh- we should Um, be able to exercise them, why we have um, freedom, uh, free exercise of religion, uh, why we have uh, freedom for parental rights, uh, for education. I mean, all of these things, if you start with a faulty worldview premise, then when you build up from there and you get then ultimately to a policy position, you'll be at the wrong one most likely. I mean, there are some conservatives that for other reasons um, they they get to maybe – um, a, a capitalistic view uh, because uh, you know they they, they arrive there by, on some other basis other than the Christian worldview. Yes, that's possible, but you won't have a comprehensive or cohesive or consistent worldview uh, that is truthful and promoting truth and good and beauty if you don't start with the biblical worldview foundation. And so, um, Alan Mashman, when you talk about the rise of the Marxist influence in America, um, this has also, I think, manifest itself on college campuses and the resurgence of all of this really hateful um, anti-Semitic rhetoric that we're seeing. And um, this this I think is is so frustrating to see that even in America, we could have uh, and possibly fall to a Marxist kind of worldview and, and an infiltration of the culture.
2: You're exactly right, and it's, it's most concerning. Here in America, we're seeing a, a worldview totally influenced by Marxism across college campuses. And I go back to the article, the closing paragraph. Uh, we not only fail the Jewish people when we don't educate our next generation about, about our alliance between our two nations, but we fail the next generation of Americans when, when we don't educate them goes back to what you just said, consistency. If you don't have a, a biblical worldview, then you're not going to be consistent. And, and without it, you have nothing but fallacy to, lie, to, to rely on. We're seeing anti-Semitism spread like wildfire in America. This is America, and we're seeing this kind of hate. And the root of it is an inconsistent fault marxist view on the world that's being taught in our in our higher education system and now it's infiltrated into our our um, elementary and high school educational systems so we have got to eradicate that and i use that as a strong word and i mean it as one we have got to eradicate that from our educational system here in america
0: yeah, I, I could not agree more, and um, and and especially in higher education, and um, of course there are a lot of concerns there. But one of the the good things and a <laughs> piece of good news uh, that I saw yesterday was um, from the Washington Post, actually, and then a few other uh, articles, and I know the Washington Post putting out something good, wow. But um, <laughs> but the Washington Post actually reported that homeschooling has become, by a wide margin, America's fastest growing form of education um, as families continue to embrace uh, homeschooling. And after the COVID pandemic, when everybody was forced um, to test out homeschooling for a little bit, um, parents decided to continue. And I think that was an unintended uh, side benefit that the left did not recognize that when they actually had parents try out homeschooling, a lot of people loved it. And that's a great encouragement, I think, um, that for parents who are are taking their children out of these uh, Marxist institutions that are state funded and state run and and state indoctrination centers, um, that maybe we will get a new generation of uh, students that are coming up through the homeschool system that actually will think for themselves and not follow some of these um, Marxist lies. Um, So what's your reaction to to these homeschooling um, rates rise as um, faith in public education is eroding?
2: Well, I am thrilled to see it, uh, see this rise. Um, just yesterday in, in Guilford County, in my own state, there is a teacher who is transitioning uh, from uh, female to male uh, in, in, in the classroom, and parents are just livid. This is an opportunity. Listen, we cannot make laws against everything. Um, we cannot turn public education into Christian schools. We cannot turn it into what you would prefer at home. So you have to understand and recognize that element, that you do have a choice, and God has given you these children for you to raise, protect, and educate. And one, two things I would say to, to you if you're considering homeschooling. Do not go and isolate and, and uh, take yourself out of the world in the in the effect that you're not engaged. Many homeschoolers, and I know because my family and I, we homeschool our children. Many homeschoolers do not get involved in the voting process, in the selection process. That is defeating the purpose. We have got to be involved because there will come a time very soon, and it's happening here in this state, every year the left tries to impose restrictions on, on homeschool and non-public education. So that is why it is most important to be engaged. If you want to take your children out and homeschool them, please do. I would encourage it greatly. But you have to be engaged because you have to protect that right for you to do that as a parent.
0: Yeah, that is a really wise message, um, Alan Mashburn. That you know, in order for us to continue to enjoy the blessings of liberty, we have to be engaged and recognize that as we, the people, we have been given one of the blessings of liberty, which is to effectively have the means and the tools to engage our government and uh, and select and prefer Christians as our leaders. And you know, seeing uh, this extreme. Backlash um, and and really just outright lies from mainstream media against um, new House Speaker Mike Johnson just on the basis of his Christian faith. Um, to me, is just it's such a clear message to Christians that we have to continue to engage government even more because they recognize that Christians are a threat, not because we're extreme or you know any of these these ridiculous reasons that mainstream media are providing, but because they know that Christians do exercise our faith and that we understand uh, why these worldview positions matter and that we go deeper than just, Um, the the top-level issues of policy. And it all comes back to what you're talking about in uh, your Blaze Media article, that worldview matters and that we have to understand our Judeo-Christian heritage and get involved as Christians. And whether that's in elected office or the ballot box or uh, however that looks for each individual, we should all at least, at the very least, be engaging with our vote um, but also to continue uh, our engagement as good citizens. And so, in the last few minutes I have with you, you are um you are engaging by running for Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina. and um, and I love that you are a very sincere Christian who is running very much as an open Christian. Um, and bringing your worldview to that race and it has been um, amusing for lack of a better word to see some of the comments on social media and the way that you just punch back with truth and uh, you're unashamed and um and so tell people a little bit more about your campaign uh there in north carolina for lieutenant governor and why you're running well
2: i'm running because i'm a father i'm a pastor I'm an American, and I cannot uh, imagine what my children are going to face in the future if we today do not stand up uh, for our Constitution, for our Christian faith, uh, just for our ability to be citizens and exercise free thereof. And so, we in, in North Carolina, we are we're going to be a very pivotal state in 24. Uh, They would love to, and I say they, Josh Stein, who's running for governor, my opponent, who would be Rachel Hunt. uh, They would love to be the Gavin Newsom and the Kamala Harris of the East Coast. And we can't let that happen. And so we have to take a stand. We have to stand strong in our principles. And um, I want to make sure that North Carolina stays red. But above that, I want to make sure that we just remain free as a state and we take care of our children we educate them and we give parents the ability to realize we don't co-parent with anyone no one at all and um while i do have the microphone i want to say happy birthday to you <laughs> i didn't get to do that in person uh, or, or uh, any other way but i want to say happy birthday to you oh, but, that's uh, very thank sweet you thank you thank you for supporting our campaign and um Anyone who wants to learn about that, you can reach us uh, at on the on our website wwwallen l e n nccom
0: that's Allen, A-L-L-E-N, 4NC.com. And I think it's so well said that this isn't just the difference between red and blue. It's not just about party. It's ultimately about the worldview and the end result of ensuring that we keep our freedoms. And so we as uh, Christians and as conservatives need to be engaging and voting our values, and that's really what um, American Family Radio is all about. You know, it's not just about supporting one party over another. That's not um, that's not really the end goal at all. Um, sometimes, you know, I think it's just a uniparty, but it's about supporting candidates who reflect our values, and it's about supporting um, the these the individuals in different public offices that will ensure that we can engage in our liberties and actually exercise our liberties because you know we could have a right to believe but if we have to keep it in the confines of our own minds and we can't outwardly express that and we can't exercise it then what good does liberty do so alan mashburn thanks so much for joining as always we'll be right back with more here on jenna ellis in the morning If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost-sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advanced Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry, serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too, chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment.
1: Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
0: Welcome back, and we're continuing to talk about this rise of anti-Semitism across the nation, unfortunately, and particularly on college campuses. So a Cornell student has now been charged with threatening jewish students according to abc a cornell university student was charged with making threats against jewish students on the campus according to federal charges filed by the justice department on tuesday a junior at cornell um, his name patrick day or Dai d-a-i was charged by the doj with making explicit threats against jewish men women and babies which allegedly included threats of rape and murder. According to the DOJ, uh, this student allegedly threatened to bring an assault rifle to campus and shoot Jews. So Jewish students are also now looking to sue Harvard and Cornell over anti-Semitism. So according to business insider, a uh, Jewish college students in the United States are gearing up to sue elite universities like Cornell and Harvard over allegations that the students have turned a blind eye in The schools, rather, have turned a blind eye in the face of rampant anti-Semitism on campuses. And the lead attorney handling the soon to be filed lawsuits uh, based out of New York said in an interview Tuesday that anti-Semitism on college campuses has long been a problem. But that the deadly October 7th terrorist attacks by Hamas on Israel, quote, poured a lot of fuel on an already raging fire. So here to talk about this more and um, talk about really, I think, the, the worldview and cultural influences on uh, these college campuses is our good friend Pedro Gonzalez, who is a, uh, a writer and his sub stack is ReadContra, C-O-N-T-R-A dot com. And you can follow him at America ameriticus i think is how he pronounces it um on x it's e-m-e-r-i-t-i-c-u-s but if you just google uh, or search for rather pedro gonzalez you will find him so good morning pedro and you know what what really should we attribute this rise of anti-semitism on college campuses to
1: good morning jenna thanks so much for having me well I, i think this is a long time coming in some ways I guess it's not so surprising, but I think you should start by just looking at the the campus hostility toward Israel as bound up in, in the genre of decolonization. So in that narrative, Israel becomes an entirely illegitimate country, much like how the left views the United States. And that's how you get this kind of odd coalition of Islam and LGBT, which doesn't really seem to make sense, right? unless there is this one uniting thing, this, this one enemy, uh, whether it's the United States or it's Israel, that kind of becomes the linchpin of this intersectionality. And the reason I say that this isn't so surprising is because we've actually been witnessing this over the last few years, except it's been aimed um, on the one hand at the United States and on the other hand at white people. Remember, over the last three or four years there's been various incidents like the professor at Yale who, while speaking to, I believe it was medical students, said that she fantasized about shooting white people in the head and after doing that, walking away from from essentially murder. I mean, not essentially, it is murder, but what she described as murder, walking away with a kind of pep in her step. And we've, we've heard different stories of, of of similar incidents like this over time. And so, in some ways, what you're seeing now, and and how it's being, you know, in the most extreme cases directed at Jews, you know, going beyond criticism of the Israeli government and just becoming actually just bald hatred of an entire group of people, it's really just another iteration of this. And it's just... Years of a problem that's been festering, and we just let it go unchecked. I think that's ultimately what we're seeing right now um, become at its worst and most extreme, I guess, iteration.
0: Mm, yeah. And I'm speaking with Pedro Gonzalez, who is a, a writer, has his, um, his own sub, sub stack at readcontra.com. And, you know, Pedro, I think you're, you're uh, right to describe this um, as, as kind of a, a festering um, sort of problem. And particularly when we've seen how the left has conveniently ignored all of the hate that has been directed at Jews and at Christians um, I, I mean, in the, the mainstream media and the left are even part of this. They are part of the aggressors when we look at how they're coming after Speaker Mike Johnson and his family just for being Christians and how nobody cares if they if uh, the attacks um, and the hate is directed at white people, frankly, or Christians. Or Jews. It seems like anyone um, in in that those categories totally fine to hate them. But then Vice President Kamala Harris now has to uh, suggest that she's going to have a strategy to counter Islamophobia. When you have House members like Rashida Tlaib that are out there actually expressing. Um, it, d- directly anti-Semitic rhetoric and the house you know failed to censure her or even condemn her and and so this I think is is just creating this this hypocrisy that we're seeing that some uh beliefs and some classes of persons are more protected against overt hate than others in America and you know, last I checked, uh, the rights against all of these things should uh, be available for everyone. And it shouldn't be okay to have open anti-Semitism or anti-Christian uh, viewpoints. And, and you know, why isn't the Biden administration calling out any of that?
1: I think one of the really dangerous things about these oppressor, op- oppressed narratives is that people who view themselves as the oppressed It it seems maybe counterintuitive, but it actually makes perfect sense the more you think about it. People who view themselves as the oppressed acting out against oppressors are capable of incredible amounts of cruelty. Because, again, if you see everything that you're doing in the context of the people that I'm doing it to are the oppressor, then there's there's really no limit to the amount of pain and suffering that you can inflict because it's all morally justified. And the the most horrendous thing that you can do, and, and you know, and again, in the most extreme version of this, it's there was a student group in, in Florida that characterized you know, they didn't say we condemn the terrorist attacks, but we stand with Palestine. We stand with the Palestinians. They, they characterized the attack on October 7th that killed around 1,400 Israelis, mainly civilians, as a win. It's very clear that they were sympathizing with the people that were responsible for slaughtering with civilians, right? And that's shocking to the average person, including people that are free speech advocates that are defending the students that are out there saying, you know, we, we condemn Hamas, we condemn violence, we, we, we sympathize with the Palestinians. Like, no, they, these people went beyond that and it just never occurred to them that that was morally wrong because in their minds again it's this this framing of we are being oppressed and therefore everything that we do up to and inclu- including slaughtering men women and children who are unarmed and helpless is completely justified in this context it's more it's not even it's not just justified it's morally righteous to do that and, and that's uh... actually why it's so dangerous
0: yeah and and that is a, a great expression that if you have a a perverted view, a, you know, a wrong view of an accurate moral basis, then your world view will not only be off, but then the measurable difference between right and wrong good and evil, what actually is moral versus immoral will be off. And so to um, to those of us who live in reality and embrace truth, then you know we, we would see all of these things and understand that this is immoral. But it makes sense that if your worldview is off, then you can not just believe that this is okay, but that this is actually... Um, a moral thing to do, and and so, you know, in terms of the response from, um, for example, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, when you know he's suggesting he's going to shut down some of these, um, not just pro Hamas, but actually pro terror groups, and um, that they have provided a material uh, benefit to terrorism under that kind of framework. Is that really the solution to this this type of problem, or um, what else can be done in terms of um, these college campuses and uh, and and all of this that's going on?
1: I think that yes, in those most extreme cases where you have groups, student groups that are, are basically funded by Taxpayers, and they're they're explicitly signaling support with with people that are responsible for killing civilians. Yes, I'm, there's there's no reason those groups should exist, and um, I think that the the, the people who have characterized DeSantis as being anti free speech in that sense are, are kind of misguided. Uh, although I understand the concerns of, of of free speech and protecting people's right to protest and, and and all that, but ultimately. It, it's it's funny because that's that's become such a controversial thing and maybe also for the wrong reasons, you know, because like I said, there are people that seem to deliberately mischaracterize what's actually happening here. But all that said, it still feels like a band-aid uh, because ultimately what's going to happen even in those cases is a, the, a particular group would just disband and then they would either join another group, the members, or they would reorganize from my understanding. And, and so it's it's good. I'm not criticizing that type of policy at all. But really, you're dealing with a generational issue, the the issue of a of a of a generation of young people that were raised on on looking at the world like this, going beyond Israel, looking at the United States like this, looking at entire demographics like this through the narrative of oppressor and oppressed. So how do you fix that? It's going to take a lot of time. There is no snap-your-fingers policy solution for this. And There's even another component to this of, of basically the role of social media in, in cultivating these narratives. You you look at um, things like TikTok, which has become a tremendous source of news for young people. That's, that's where they're getting so much of their information from. And it, it kind of feels like we've been... We thought we were aware of the problem of these types of problems for for the longest time, and because they were like this, they were so often talked about in conservative media. But it feels now really like we actually weren't aware of the depth of the problem, and we've been asleep at the wheel for a long time. And it, it like I said, it's all sort of showing its ugly head now.
0: Yeah, and and I think I think that that's. Um... Apt and how we have, as as a culture, I think, and um, and some in the older generation, really haven't um, understood the the more fundamental problem. Of a uh, of Marxism and this whole oppressor versus oppressed and how that manifests itself in uh, different ways, whether that's you know the um, the LGBTQ agenda, whether that's um, you know this this whole anti-white narrative, that the whole anti-Christian narrative. I mean, all of these different things that come back basically to a false worldview and a basis in Marxism that's being taught in. Uh, college campuses and has been taught um, for, you know, the last several decades. And so then we wonder why our culture looks the way it does. Well, if you teach um, children to view the world a certain way and to view um, people as inherently oppressors versus uh, the the people who are oppressed just based on their immutable characteristics, not even their own personal choices, then we get to a society that looks like this. And so um, so how how can we start? I mean, you know, you mentioned this will take some time, but um, but I think that, you know, this the rise of homeschooling is encouraging, um, but also you know, I don't see a lot of people in politics talking about this or actually addressing this from a worldview standpoint. It seems like we're so myopically focused on Democrats versus Republicans. Sometimes yeah. in the political forum, we're not seeing the bigger policy issues.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that you can look to examples like with Christopher Ruffo and people like him, but mainly Christopher Ruffo in, in Florida, where you're actually seeing these attempts at recapturing institutions and retooling them so that they're actually forces for good. And, and in other words, institutions of higher learning actually become places where you get higher learning as opposed to just uh, opinions and, and this kind of skewered way of looking at the world. And, and so I think that is things like that are, are constructive in the sense that they're not just – They're not just measures that are intended to punish, uh, which is fine and good, um, but also intended to to build and to to actually create alternatives. Because ultimately, you you can't just run away from the issue. You can't just, in other words, you can't just defund and disorganize and disband. You actually have to create alternatives, right? And it's really, really hard to do that. That's why almost no one does it. And that's why what people like Christopher who are doing in Florida is so unique and I think so important and I, I, I ask myself all the time why aren't more people doing this um, and so that's part of it but I think ultimately a lot of this stuff does start at home and again if you're in politics that's not the answer that anyone wants to hear because it's not a fast answer it's not an answer that it's hard to fundraise on that right that it, it starts at home it starts with the way that you raise your kids it, it starts with your own community
0: Yeah, really well said, Um, and Pedro Gonzalez, this is why the family and the church is actually more important than the civil government, and why Andrew Breitbart famously said that politics is downstream from culture. So we're all out of time for this episode of Jenna Ellis in the Morning. You can reach me and my team at jenna at afr.net, and you can follow the two little puppies barking in the background, two dudes underscore copper and Todd. We'll be right back with more tomorrow.
3: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.
0: I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound?